What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about antidepressants, the benefits and the dangers. For that, we turn to P.E. Moskowitz. They run a newsletter about capitalism and psychology called Mental Health, health spelled H-E-L-L-T-H. They've published in The New Yorker, New York Magazine, Mother Jones, and The Nation, where their article, Breaking Off My Chemical Romance, is featured in the magazine's new special issue on drugs. We reach them today in New York City. P.E. Moskowitz, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you report that 13% of Americans were on some kind of antidepressant in 2018. And of course, that was before the pandemic made all of us more anxious and depressed. I have friends who will tell you that their lives were saved by Prozac or Lexapro or Zoloft, and others who will say they wanted to take them but couldn't because of the side effects. But you write in The Nation that antidepressants may often cause more harm than good, and that new research has found that the drugs are less effective and more dangerous than many previously believed. So let's start with what we've been told about the causes of depression. The theory that I learned is that it's caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. So it should be understood as something can, can be treated with medication. And we are very lucky that science has discovered SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which correct the chemical imbalance. You say scientists now believe that theory is flawed. Please explain. Yeah, so the interesting thing about the chemical imbalance theory is that most scientists never really believed it. Um, it was a theory, first of all, not a fact. And even the the guy who, who came up with the theory kept emphasizing this is a theory, this is a theory. Now, most scientists, you know, even the most pro-psychiatric medication uh, scientists acknowledge the brain is much, much, much too complex to be boiled down to a few molecules like serotonin or dopamine or norepinephrine, um, which these drugs like SSRIs affect. So the idea that we actually know what's going on in the brain when we prescribe these drugs is is simply put just fake. Um, and it comes mostly from, from marketing. Um, there was actually a study done about why people think that chemical imbalance is the cause of depression. And uh, 
the the respondents mostly said that they got that information from from news reports and TV commercials, not from scientific papers. And you know, beyond that, it, it goes to the very the very way we study depression. You know, I quote someone in the story, a, a researcher who's a, a very pro drug researcher, pro prescription drug researcher, and she gives the example of you know, if you have a toothache and you prescribe an, an opiate pain reliever for the toothache, right? If you study the reduction in pain, you find out a lot about how that pain reduction works, but you find out nothing about the cause of the actual toothache, right? So that that I think is a good metaphor for, for depression too. We don't really know what's going on. Okay, so we don't really know what causes depression, but millions of people say antidepressants help them so it's worth it for those people to take them, they say, even if we don't understand how or why they work. And you question that argument, too. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you're really depressed and something works for you, I, I'm not telling everyone to go throw their antidepressants down the toilet or something. But I think that we need a more nuanced and full picture of these drugs because often you only hear the, the positive sides of them, right? So for some people, they do appear to work, although we don't know why. Some scientists say it's mostly placebo, which people kind of scoff at because they don't want to think they could be so greatly affected by a placebo. Um, but, you know, opiates work via placebo. Advil works via placebo. Everything works via placebo. Yeah, I want to talk about placebos. You mentioned in your article for The Nation the program in placebo studies at Harvard University. I never heard of this before. Sounds great. You say they discovered in 2014, this was eight years ago, that a placebo was about 50% as effective as real medication in treating migraines. That means that for every two people who were helped by the real medicine, one was helped by placebo. What are the findings about antidepressants then, we wonder, about antidepressants versus placebo? I googled that. And I got the answer, all the antidepressants work better than a placebo. But how much better? That's that's the million-dollar question. And most, most prescription drug re research is funded by the prescription drug companies themselves, and they kind of selectively choose what to publish. So what this researcher at the Harvard Placebo Studies Program, Irving Kirsch, did was dig up all the unpublished studies, the ones the prescription drug companies didn't want to see the light of day, and he found that when you combined all of those studies, the effect of most antidepressants was very, 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 very small or non-existent on average, right? And that's when we get down into the really nitty gritty of what is a significant difference. You know, they measure it by something called effect size and, you know, is basically like your life improving by two points on the effect scale, uh, a significant enough improvement to warrant antidepressants or to say that they're effective. And then it all gets, you know, really muddled with someone in a study, their effect size, you know, goes up by 20 points. They're sleeping better. Everything gets better on an antidepressant. And then someone else, their effect size does nothing. Like, does that skew the results? So it seems like they're more effective for everyone as opposed to just that one person. It gets really, really complicated. And I think what I wanted to do in this story is not come to a really concrete answer because I feel like that's what so often happens is either people say, these are miracle drugs, you should love them. And if you don't love them, then shut up. Or people say like, these are the most evil things in the world, right? And to me, it's like, we don't actually really know and we should stop pretending that we know. The least we can ask for is a much fuller picture when we're being prescribed them. 
about what, what they actually do, the possible side effects they can have, and if they actually work for people. So yeah, let's talk about side effect. I read that the FDA requires that all antidepressants carry black box warnings. What is a black box warning? It's kind of the most serious level of warning that, you know, a drug can make you suicidal or um, increase the chances of that you'll fly into like a murderous rage. I remember this this one time I was prescribed an atypical antidepressant called Wellbutrin, which is very common. And, you know, it came with this humongous sticker on it that said, if you start feeling like feelings of murder, murderous anger towards uh, your family or something, like, please discontinue the drug. And like, That's strange. Why didn't my psychiatrist tell me about it? <laughs> uh, so they tell people that, quote, stopping antidepressant treatment abruptly or missing several doses can cause discontinuation syndrome. What is discontinuation syndrome? It's like any other drug that your brain becomes dependent on. If you smoke cigarettes, if you um, drink coffee even, right? If you suddenly stop doing those things, your brain needs to rebalance its neurons to the absence of those chemicals. So the idea that antidepressants could somehow be different than any other chemical that affects the brain, again, was more marketing than it was science. And now what's coming out more and more is that the typical way of people getting off antidepressants is much too fast. If you go to most psychiatrists and you say you won't, you've been on an antidepressant for a few years and you want to get off, they'll say, cut the dose in half in a week and then stop the next week. And what people are finding is that they have to go down much, 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 much slower. And if they don't, um, and this is something I've experienced personally, there's all of these horrible side effects from quote unquote brain zaps, which makes it feel like your brain is just like a TV that was turned off for a second or something. And like physical pain and uh, anxiety, increased anxiety, all of these things that are really horrible. And if you go, you know, read the forums on the internet where people are are struggling with these things and seeking out help from each other, it's, it's just really mind boggling that we don't talk about it more because it's really scary. You conclude that there is an antidepressant industry that is similar to big tobacco in its funding of research and support for academics who favor its profit margins. And you show that research that challenges industry profits gets attacked. This is research showing that antidepressants are not very effective, as well as research that shows that they are more dangerous and that withdrawal effects can be very severe. Tell us more about the the industry um, and its attacks on its critics. Yeah, so there's a very lucrative industry and like any other industry that there's money to be made. Uh, they're very uh, protective of, of the ability to make money. So we've seen a lot of reporting on this when it comes to things like uh, Oxycontin, right, where doctors were paid on these lavish trips to Hawaii or wherever and given all these kinds of perks to kind of give their stamp of approval on this drug. And the same thing happens with Zoloft and Prozac and all, every other drug that's coming to market. I think it's less that uh, the prescription drug companies are like going and trying to like quash any negative story. And it's more that they're trying to put a positive spin on every single drug that comes to market uh, with their money and with their influence. But I think another another important thing to know is that this isn't just about, you know, a kind of corrupt science, although it is about that too. I think it's also about this 
over-reliance on the kind of miracle of, of science in this country, right? That we think any new breakthrough is the best thing since sliced bread. And that this keeps happening over and over and over again with uh, mental health medication. Yeah, you're right. There's a history of mass marketing of drugs for mental health ailments that, that we need to remember going back at least to the 50s. Whatever happened to Thorazine? Whatever happened to Milltown? Yeah, these were in the 50s, like the, the drugs du jour. They helped everyone calm down. They uh, took the edge off things. And millions upon millions of Americans uh, were prescribed them um, at some point. Milltown uh, was one of the most popular prescription drugs in America by far. And then everyone kind of said, whoops, maybe these things aren't so great. They cause people to have severe discontinuation syndromes. People start shaking and they gain a lot of weight. They get dependence on these things. They, it, you know, it has a host of side effects. So then all of a sudden a new miracle drug cropped up and that was benzodiazepines like Xanax and uh, Clonopin and things like that. And again, it was like, oh, a miracle cure for anxiety and, uh, you know, the general woes of American life. And then surprise, surprise, you know, 10, 20 years later, they're like, oh, whoops, everyone's getting addicted to this. It has horrible withdrawal side effects. And then antidepressants, right? And the same thing happens all over again. Um, so it's just this cycle of over-enthusiasm, uh, kind of thinking we can cure depression or anxiety with this silver bullet and then backtracking and being like, whoops, these are not as perfect as we thought. You've read a lot of the research on this. What is the research about the effects of going to see a therapist compared to taking SSRIs? There's surprisingly not much research on, uh, like long-term research on which is better, but the little that's out there shows that, you know, continuous therapy is equally effective to antidepressant treatment, if not more so. But the problem is that the, the causes of depression and anxiety are so complex. I mean, we see a rise in it during the pandemic, of course, because people are lonely and stressed and working, you know, crazy jobs and all the rest. And, and we try to boil that down to kind of a chemical imbalance or even something that can be worked out in therapy. I mean, can, can the, the ravages of this world really be worked out in a therapist's office? Probably not. not that's not to say a therapy doesn't help, but that we can't really say there's a cure for depression or anxiety when the causes of depression and anxiety are things that are kind of out of our control. So, so yes, therapy is as effective as antidepressants, but that's not the whole solution. You know, there needs to be a more holistic answer to, to why we're so depressed and anxious as a society. Let me go back to discontinuation syndrome for a minute here. You write in The Nation about your own discontinuation experience. Right. So I had a really hard time about maybe four or five years ago, you know, moved to a new city, was really stressed out in a bad relationship, et cetera, um, and went to a psychiatrist and she put me on Effexor, which is an SNRI, which is very similar to an SSRI. And at first it it's kind of seemed to work. You know, there were like a lots of weird side effects. Um, I gained some weight. There was some sexual dysfunction. Uh, there was, you know, lots of things that that were worrying about it, but it, it quelled my anxiety at least. And then I started feeling a little better. And so I thought, okay, I can get off of this. And I got off. And then a few months later, I just had essentially the worst mental breakdown 
of my life, you know, I thought I was going crazy that I'd end up in a mental institution. And for a while, I didn't know why. And, and of course there were, you know, many factors that I'm not going to blame it all on, on the withdrawal from a drug, but, um, but as soon as I reinstated that medication, a lot of the symptoms of that kind of mental breakdown went away. Um, you know, like my hands stopped shaking. Um, I felt less uh, crazy and, but I didn't feel back to normal. And the, that's kind of what got me interested in these drugs and whether they're safe or not, because researchers I talked to for this piece, other people I've talked to who have gone through similar things, it's much, much more common than I realized. And that kind of made me think, wait, is this, is this related? And if it is related, then why is no one talking about these possible side effects uh, or unintended consequences? P.E. Moskowitz, you can read their newsletter, Mental Health, spelled H-E-L-L-T-H, online. And you can read their article about the dangers of antidepressants for the nation's special issue on drugs at thenation.com now. Thank you, P.E. This is great. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 